Welcome to the RPGBot.News. I'm Randall James, your lucky lawyer who interprets the law, and with me is Tyler Kampstra. Hi, everybody. And Ash Eli. Hail and well met, travelers. All right, Tyler, what are we doing today? Uh, oh, well, I should ask you the same thing, Randall. What are we doing today, Randall? Today, we're going to talk about Cypher System uh, and Cypher System's recently announced open license. So great. Love to see I'm, it. I'm excited. Uh, this is a system I hadn't really looked at before, and we were fortunate enough to meet the Monty Cook Games folks at GameholeCon, and a lot of people are very excited about Cypher, so we thought we'd check it out. It seems pretty cool so far. Yeah, it was kind of a cool experience. Like uh, folks who were Monty Cook Games adjacent, but not actually Monty Cook Games, kept pulling me aside at their tenth birthday party. Monty Cook's tenth birthday party, not the people pulling me aside. To be clear, <laughs> uh, but they kept pulling me aside to tell me how awesome the system is. And it got to the point where, like, I'm in line trying to check out with the book. Like, I'm gonna buy the Cipher System rulebook, and they're like, No, you don't understand. This thing's awesome. And it's like, But I'm buying it. Let me. Let me. <laughs> I'm just gonna go play the game. Yeah. But no, it was it was really cool to see the enthusiasm. And I felt like even in a quick conversation, I understood how the game worked. Like at a high level, I felt pretty well equipped. And then as you go through the book, you say there's a lot of complexity available to you, but it's all opt-in. Uh, in fact, there's actually there's a section out of the book that I just want to read because I think it, you know, it's how the book presents itself. And I think it's a pretty good summary. What you hold in your hands is a guidebook, a how-to. You can't just sit down and start playing because Cypher System Rulebook is not meant to be used that way. You have to put something of your own into it first. There is no setting or world here. The system is designed to help you portray any world or setting you can dream up. Think of this book as a chest of toys. You can pull out whatever you want and play with it however you want. So I think it's important to first talk about like, what what is the cyber system and where it came, where did it come from? So for those who didn't who haven't followed its development, uh, cyber system originally started as uh, a not setting agnostic system called Numenera, uh, which was funded through Kickstarter um, by Monty Cook. Very successful Kickstarter, like one of the first really successful tabletop Kickstarters. You know the setting of Numenera definitely a very uh, unique one. It takes place on Earth but billions of years in the future. Like so many uh, different civilizations have risen and fallen throughout the years and leaving behind artifacts. And it's built on the principle, I believe it's Isaac Asimov who said it, which was any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. That's kind of the basis that Numenera is based off of, is the people who live in this world. There are ruins and artifacts of machines of bygone eras that no one remembers who created them or for what purpose or how they work, essentially. But the way they function is essentially to these people like magic. So uh, people use these artifacts called Numenera. And right. uh, yeah, but uh, they just to, to, to squeeze it in, Arthur C. Clarke. Arthur C. Clarke, thank you. I knew I was so here for. No, you're fine. I correct you all the time. So it's exactly. Great. I got one, everybody. You got one on me. <laughs> 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 but um so yeah they eventually numenera was successful so they eventually spun it out into the cypher system which is a setting agnostic version of the numenera system so you can basically take it like like uh, randall's introduction said you can take any of the stuff in here you don't you don't have to play fantasy with it you don't even have to do the numenera stuff if you don't want to they offer ideas for 
using superheroes or a modern setting or a sci-fi setting. It's really anything you want. And you love to see that because there's not a lot of setting agnostic tabletop systems lately. There's a few like uh, GURPS, Fate, but most of them tend to be, you know, like D&D and Pathfinder. They have a setting attached to them or at least a at least a genre attached to them. But Numenera is like, no, any genre you want to do. You want to do Cosmic Horror? Cool, you can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about kind of what's in the book and what it's going to provide. But at a high level, when the idea was first pitched to me, my feeling was, like, as soon as you start to add content, like, having no setting, being setting agnostic, means having no depth. Uh, And that's one of the things that I was really surprised by. When you look at this... You know, it's closer to being the size of the PF2 core rulebook than it is being the size of the 5e player's handbook. It's a thick text and it's full. It's dense. There's a lot of different content in it. And, you know, we'll we'll get into character creation in a second. But when you look at these things, when you look at all of this, you think, yeah, you really did pull off an idea of summarizing, okay, in a generic sense, what is this archetype? And what would it be like to bring into all these different settings? So, yeah, I guess we should get into it, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's get into it. Can we start with mechanics? Yeah, that, I mean that that feels on brand. <laughs> All right. So, so tell me how the dice system works. Like the the resolution mechanic at the heart of the RPG. So, like D anD D, this is your D twenty. Add your stat against AC or DC. Uh, what's what's the equivalent here? Uh, absolutely. So uh, it, it is primarily based on a D20. Uh, so the only die that a player should need is that D20. Uh, and the character, or the, excuse me, the players make the rolls. Yeah, GM okay. makes no rolls. Interesting. So the idea is a difficulty scale. Uh, and you could argue it goes from 1 to 10 or 0 to 10. Essentially, 0 is it is so easy, we're not going to roll. You can just accomplish that. If you say, what I would like to do is I would, I'm on this sidewalk. I would like to walk down the sidewalk. I'm not going to make you roll because making you roll for that in any tabletop game is terrible. But if there's an earthquake going on and I'm trying to run down the sidewalk, okay, all of a sudden we're talking about something that somebody who's athletic might be able to do, but they might have a hard time. So we're going to have it be a little bit harder. So we range from uh, one to 10, 10 being this is theoretically impossible. You can't accomplish it. And without some assistance or without some skill, it literally is impossible. Uh, So the way a test works Uh, is I take the difficulty number, I apply some modifiers, and we'll talk about what that looks like in a second, to raise or lower the difficulty number. I multiply that difficulty number by three, and then I roll a d20 and try to beat that number. So let's say something has a difficulty of six, which is is fairly difficult. It's, It's really very difficult. If I do nothing to assist the roll, I need to meet or beat an 18. Six times three is 18 in order to do something at that difficulty. If it's a seven and I can't apply any modifiers, seven times three is 21. If I have no ability to modify this, if I have no skills that help me, I don't have any effort that I can spend to to lower the difficulty of this thing. It is literally impossible for me. Okay. So there are checks that are just straight up beyond your base capabilities without some sort of help. Yeah. And and that's between kind of you and your GM, however your GM wants to run, uh, run this game. In, a, in addition, it, it gets a little interesting. So there's this idea in combat. So 17, 18, 19, and 20 all have some perks that come with it. We'll get into damage a little bit or, or combat in a little bit. We're not going to go super deep. Um, I'll spoil part of it by saying, if it's a combat roll to deal damage and you roll a 17, 
your damage with a given weapon is fixed. With a 17, you get to add one extra point of damage. With an 18, 2, 19, 3, 24. So rolling those high numbers allows you, you know, that little bit of randomness will increase the amount of damage you do. Also, you know, 19 and 20 can come with some cool stuff. On the flip side, and again, we'll hop into this in a little bit, rolling a 1 during conflict resolution leads to what's called a GM intrusion, which basically is a conflict the GM gets to bring into the game. And we'll dive into that in a second. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the main difference in terms of skill checks from like D&D is unlike with D&D where you have like a modifier that you add to the role. Instead, your any skills that are relevant to a task are factored in adjusting to the difficulty and then it's just a straight roll, right? Yeah. So it sounds like instead of being like D20 plus mod versus number, it's base number modified by things and then just straight d20 yeah so, so like, like if you're trained if you're trained in a skill you would reduce the difficulty of a task by two steps so in randall's example a six difficulty you would reduce uh if you had a, if you had a relevant skill you reduce it to a four difficulty if you're trained you would remove it you'd reduce it by one if you have i, I think the idea is expertise you would remove it by two Oh, yeah, you're right. One step. My my mistake. Yes, one step. So then it would be a five. So that would reduce it to uh, a 15, which is easier. But uh, and there are other ways that you can reduce it, like someone can help you and stuff like that. But essentially, if you're like, how is this different from D&D? It's not you're just rolling a straight unmodified D20 roll, which I know is scary to a lot of people They're like, what? Hmm. I don't add anything to it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> That's why. So like when we say impossible, it's literally impossible because the DC that you have to hit on a 10 difficulty is a 30. You can't roll that. It's impossible. Unless I think I think I don't know how natural 20s work in cypher system. I forget. There's there's some benefits, but it's not. Uh, yeah, I don't think the intent is for you to succeed on a 30. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so normally, normally people are a little bad at like adding and subtracting numbers very quickly that way. Like this gives me FACO flashbacks, but it sounds like the difficulty scale, it's single digit numbers. So it's like, if I can subtract two from nine, I think I'm going to be okay. Is that about right? Yeah, hundred percent. And then, then finally at the end, Great. you have to multiply by three. Yeah. And if you can't do that quick math, there's a handy dandy chart in the, in the book. <laughs> That just okay. tells you what the target number it it's it tells you it's really good it has a a table that is the task difficulty a description of that task difficulty like either it varies from zero which is routine to ten which is impossible and then everything in between and then it gives you the target number and a little example so like a routine yeah, okay. anyone can do this basically every time uh, ten uh, a task that normal humans couldn't consider but one that doesn't break the laws of physics. Oh, all right. Okay. So we've talked about the dice. Tell me about characters. How do I build my character? Like D and D you've got your race, you've got your class, you've got your ability scores. Like what are the, what are the major chunks of my character? There's, there, there's something similar to that here. Uh, so I think one of the key things, and I feel like I haven't seen a lot of systems that are, that are anywhere close to this. You describe your character in this way. I am an adjective noun who verbs. So I open the show with this. I'm a lucky lawyer who interprets the law. I'm a buffalo buffalo who buffaloes buffalo. I'm not sure if that's in the text. I'll go look. Mine was. Uh, but but yeah, you could. And, and again, this is the beauty of the game. You could do this. So what, what does it mean to be the adjective buffalo? 
uh, you're from the town of Buffalo. Okay. Uh, you know what? I can't do anything with that. <laughs> but there, <laughs> there, there are there there are, uh, skills and abilities listed in the game. The lucky descriptor is going to give you a bunch of options for things that you might take. Um, being a lawyer goes back to like it's it's a type of class. Uh, effectively, what most folks would consider a class system. They have warrior, adept, explorer, speaker. And I, I want to give an example of this because I think it's helpful. So I, I, warrior probably feels obvious to most folks, right? In a fantasy fairy tale setting, I might be a fighter, a swordsman, a knight, a barbarian. If the setting is like a modern setting, maybe I'm a police officer or a soldier. If it's science fiction, maybe I'm a science officer, a security officer, a merc. Uh, if it's like a superhero thing, then like, you know, I'm, I'm a hero or I'm a bruiser. The idea of being an adept in a fantasy world, right? I'm a wizard, a mage, a sorcerer. In a, a modern setting, maybe I'm a psychic or an occultist. Maybe I'm a telepath or uh, a scanner. Uh, and then a superhero setting, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm still a major sorcerer, I guess. They're superheroes, right? We all agree. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, the idea being that no matter what you're setting, you can almost always, as a archetype, call your class a warrior adept explorer or a speaker yeah Uh, okay and uh a descriptor is essentially kind of like a background but it's like also kind of like a feat they have different uh, it just sort of rounds out your character so like for instance uh i believe lucky is one of them let me just see lucky is absolutely one of them yeah so that descriptor is analogous to your yeah. background. In so fighting. like, like lucky you rely on chance and timely good luck to get you through many situations. So you basically get a luck pool uh, and you also get an advantage, which is when you use one XP to reroll a D 20 for any role that affects you add three to the role. And uh, it also gives you like an initial link to the adventure, like some ideas of how your character slots into the adventure. But yeah, it's if a type is your class, then descriptor is kind of like your background. So does that make the verb your race? No. Okay. It's it's so the, your verb is your focus. It is the thing that you do. Okay. Uh, you know, the raison d'être. Uh, so you know, I, I I joke around interprets the law. At each tier, there's a description of abilities that you would get because you. Your focus is interpreting the law. I'll name these. Let's not hop into the descriptions of them. But at tier one, uh, opening statement and knowledge of the law. At tier two, debate. At tier three, able assistance, enhanced intellect edge. At tier four, castigate. I get to castigate people. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm naming these tiered systems. So the leveling system for this game goes from one to six. Uh, there's basically four activities that you can take once you've earned enough experience. Once you've done all four of those activities, you get to go up a tier and additional things become available to you. So there's, you know, it's discrete in the sense that like I do this thing, then I do the second thing, the third, the fourth. Uh, It's up to you in what order you take them. And of course, there's going to be advantages and disadvantages depending on how you structure that. So you mentioned experience. So it sounds like it's a point based advancement, not like level based. Uh, exactly. So you you get XP. One of the ways you get XP, for instance, is uh, the GM offers you XP. And the way the GM offers you XP is, let's say you're climbing a wall, okay? Everything's going really great. You're having a great time with it. The GM will have a GM intrusion and say, okay, time for GM intrusion. I'm going to offer this to you. A brick would start slipping out. Do you want to take the intrusion? Do you want to take the XP for it or, or not? And if they say no, 
they need to turn in an XP to stop the intrusion. If they say yes, they take the experience point and then they roll to deal with whatever you've just done to them. Got it. So it's it's directly saying, I'm going to introduce conflict. I'm going to cause issues. And I think the fun for a GM would be doing that in a way that isn't annoying. It's actually fun for your players. Um, you know, occasionally they're going to be beaten down. They're having a hard time. They're near their edge. You know, like the, things are going well. And you're going to be like, hey, time for GM intrusion. And they're like, you know what? What if we didn't right now? But hopefully I think most <laughs> of the time it could be a fun exchange of like, hey, this is going to be a fun thing that we're going to go through. Let's let's find a way to get through it. I think one of the cool things that that this offers you is it's almost a way of like measuring as a GM, like what kinds of things do you want to deal with? You know, do you want to deal with, you know, your character narrowly falling off a rope bridge? You keep turning things like that down, but if it's a conflict resolution, because an NPC wants to argue with you, maybe everybody at the table loves that. And so that's the, that's the kind of conflict you need to be bringing into the game more often. That's an interesting idea. Okay. So We've talked about characters a little bit. There's there's one more thing I want to add to the character. So you talked about okay. ability scores in like 5e Pathfinder. Uh, here we have three uh, ability scores. It, it's a pool system where you have points in each pool, uh, might, speed, and intellect. Uh, so we talked before about, you know, you could expend effort. You can actually spend points from this pool to also buy down the difficulty of certain things. Uh, so the same way you might be trained in a skill and the skill is applicable, and that's a free thing, you can also uh, spend effort. And with certain with certain feats, if you spend maybe one point of effort in a particular pool, you actually get another point of effort for free, meaning it kind of becomes a favored thing that it's like, hey, I can buy that. I can buy this down for two points by spending one effort. Why wouldn't I do that for the party? Mm-hmm. So I feel like we've talked a little bit about characters, you know, combat. We've introduced the idea of the GM intrusions. Yeah, let's talk about ciphers. So it's it's the cipher system. Ciphers are an important part of this. It took me a little bit of description from other folks to kind of wrap my head around it. But essentially, you could think of it as like a one-time boon. In my mind, it's almost a meta-currency that you're given. Uh, so there's an idea of a subtle cipher, which means that there's like no physical object for you to actually hold. It's that moment of inspiration that actually helps you kind of cross the finish line on something. Um, once you spend it, it's gone. But the idea with ciphers is that you're meant to constantly acquire them or find them. And therefore, you're meant to spend them. Um, but it's it's a way of getting just a little bit more edge in the game to you know be strategic about, okay, is this the moment where I want to burn this thing? And I, I can imagine as a GM and a, a table working on that balance of like, okay, I'm not going to just feed them to you like candy. But at the same time, you got to spend them. Don't go the whole session without burning your ciphers. Okay, so so it is a meta currency like a lot of games where you're expected to use it and recharge it quickly. Yeah. So like 5e's inspiration, you can only have one, so you want to get it, use it, and then try and get it back. Yeah, and, and in this case, like you'll have multiple ciphers at a time, but there is a limit on what you can have, so you can't infinitely hoard them because you are going to bump up against that wall. Like, okay, no kidding, you actually have to spend these things. <laughs> there are physical ciphers. Uh, and so you'll actually find this physical cipher. So let's say you're doing a science fiction game. Uh, it might be like, oh, you know, this lost relic of a thing. Nobody knows how it works. But like when I beep, boop and push the button, all of a sudden it shoots all my enemies. Great news. <laughs> you know, so this cipher has helped me work through the problem that I was facing, which those people weren't shot enough. And now they are. And we can keep going. Can I take a cipher and use the cipher to trigger an ad break? Ah, I see what you did there. I can't believe that worked. <laughs> I can't believe the GM let us get away with that. 
<laughs> Thanks, producer Dan. <laughs> okay, so let's talk through, you know, what are the stories that we can tell with Cypher System? I think uh, Money Cook Games folks would argue any story, whatever you want to tell. If you if you buy the book, in the book, at the back, there's an entire part three genres. So I'm going to enumerate these right quick. Fantasy, modern, science fiction, horror, romance, superheroes, post-apocalyptic, fairy tale, historical. I've got a question because romance and superhero generally don't work in the same RPG. Like those are those are two very, very different role playing experiences Uh, with the advancement system where you're like, I'm going to eventually become Superman. Like, how does it how does it handle romance stories? Do you advance to tier four and then castigate your romantic partner? Like what? (laughs) If you're a lawyer, maybe maybe that's what everybody's into. Yeah, so the the romance section of the book, first of all, it, it talks about, you know, we like to talk about safety tools. There's a good description here of safety tools to think about, because if you think about it, sitting around with, uh, you know, a group of your friends or peers or even loved ones and playing a game about simulated romantic fantasy could get awkward if there's not an agreement of like, what lines are we willing to cross? What lines are we not willing to cross? Uh, but at that point, I'm going to assume if you're playing a romance game, you're probably going to lean pretty heavy into the role play less on combat. Again, unless that's what you're into. Uh, (laughs) And so what does it give you? It gives you like an optional rule for infatuation. It gives you relationship levels. And so you have romantic relationship levels and platonic relationship levels. Uh, And the idea is you're meant to take this, bring it to the other skills that are in the game and create a player character that has abilities where maybe you know, and, and this isn't out of the book, but kind of having read it, what I would think of is uh, I want to, like, I went on a date with an NPC. And based on everything that we talked about, I want to figure out the most romantic second date to take her on. And so you could imagine structuring something like a skill challenge where it's like, okay, you know, I remember that she sh- she got a scar from ice skating, but it was like her favorite day that she ever went on. I remember as we walked by, she looked extra long at some yellow roses and then kind of turned her nose up at tulips. I remember uh, her favorite food is pizza. And so that's the date and we're going to structure it. And maybe that's the challenge that I go through. And then my friends are maybe aiding me and like, no, 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 no. You know, don't forget uh, she has a gluten allergy. So like get get the pizza without the gluten. Like, I I don't know, whatever it could be. (laughs) But yeah, you could have some role play, have some fun with it. Uh, similarly, in the horror section, they, you know, we, we've done episodes on horror. We've talked about ideas of like madness and fear. And in this case, they give you an example of uh, shock. And so here's some things that you can add to the rules that are already here that fit the genre. Here's some good advice about running a game anyway. And so, you know, really having this idea of pick up the pieces that you need and kind of leave anything that you don't want to use right now. These examples of how to run the genres, if you have an idea for a superhero game and you're thinking, okay, I just want a little bit of inspiration, reading the chapter on superheroes here is going to give you some good advice. And then looking through at some of the feats and abilities throughout the rest of the book, I think is going to give you more good advice. Yeah, it's uh, you talked about uh, like races before, uh, Tyler. So they, if in the fantasy section, they do offer 
species and stuff like that that uh, have, oh, have uh, different sort of stats and things like that. They also briefly touch on it in science fiction, but you're kind of encouraged to come up with your own stuff. It, uh, uh, all of the stuff in the genres section should not be taken as gospel. They're, they're gospel. They're merely suggestions. There are ways that you can make the system work for you. So essentially, they're giving again going back to uh, what Tyler's description uh, introduction at the beginning. It's they're essentially giving you like these little building blocks, these little toys in a toy chest that you can pull out and kind of assemble into whatever fantasy adventure or sci-fi adventure you want to come up with. You can, and uh, it makes it a very flexible open sort of system which i am very excited to see what uh people do with now that it has an open gaming license so should we talk about that yeah uh okay so you guys mentioned how the genres add additional optional rules and you can assemble stuff from that ash you mentioned it it expects you to create your own races so like if i if I get up and say, I have decided to re-engineer my favorite dungeon fantasy RPG in the Cypher system, and it is absolutely flawless and captures everything about the other system, and I want to publish that, can I do that? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> Probably no, not? No, no, no. I'm, bear with me for a second. Uh, I went to... Uh, what was a legal, not a legal presentation of Alex Hammer. And the most important phrase that I learned there was it depends. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. So, so I shave off all the, all the serial numbers. It's, it's a dwarf, uh, pointier guy. Uh, I'm, I think I'm legally allowed to use the term human. Yes. Yeah. No, they, they, yeah, they haven't locked that down yet. Yes. So, right. so meta human. No, but human. Absolutely. Ah. <laughs> Let me see if I follow. You want to recreate fifth edition D and D using the cipher system? Is that what you're saying? Uh, your words, not mine. Hmm. I mean, technically, <laughs> they're both open gaming licenses, so yes, I guess you could do that. But like, why? Why would you do that? <laughs> for sake of argument, Fair purely enough. for sake of Fair argument. Enough. I mean, yeah. yeah. Go for I mean, it. right. You could just Let's... play five E. <laughs> yeah. No, but but the question is, like, I. I, I have an idea and I want to build a system. Uh, you could use the 5e OGL. Uh, you could use the Cypher system OGL and you could build a really, you could build a great fantasy game on top of that. Yeah. One of the things I want to call out, all of the system content in the 5e player's handbook is not in the 5e SRD. Not every monster in the monster manual is in the 5e SRD monster list. Not every ability, not every spell. Right. As best as I could tell, and don't hold me to this because I didn't do like a line for line comparison, all of the system structure, the rules, the abilities, the descriptions of classes, all of these things are in the Cypher OGL or open license. Oh, okay. So that's much more generous. Yeah. If you if you were holding the book and you're reading the book, as, as best as I could tell, uh, if somebody knows better, uh, tweet at me and we will correct this by somehow. <laughs> but as best as I could tell, all the content that is in the, the rules section of the book is part of the cipher system open license. So if you're reading this and thinking, you know, I really want to build on top of this, I want to build on top of something. There it feels like there's a lot of flexibility here because you're not going to read something and say, that's great inspiration. I want to build on top of this. Quick, let me go see if it's in the SRD before I do. So that's really helpful. Like the 
one of the big limitations of writing third-party content for 5e is the limited amount of comment and content that's in the srd like you have a lot of the most iconic monsters you have every class except the artificer but if i want to publish an artificer subclass like i legally cannot because that's not in the srd i can't make reference to any of the non-srd subclasses so yeah like if if this has everything in the core rulebook, like every single rule in there, then yeah, you could you can publish pre-gen characters and like campaigns that reference everything in the core book, like that. Yeah, that's that is a ton of tools to work with. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, and then reading reading from uh, reading from their website, so the Cypher system reference document, a version of the Cypher system rules that includes nearly all rules content in the Cypher systems rulebook. Uh, so nearly surely carrying some weight, but as best as I could tell, it was all there. <laughs> all right. I'm curious to see what, uh, what nearly means. Yeah. Like it'd be easier. Just give me the three things I can't use. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, you know, the, you asked that question. It's like, you didn't want to go publish it. Uh, absolutely. And I think more generally, right? Like, let's talk about our favorite settings. Sorry. Star Wars is a lot of fun. Uh, the Marvel cinematic universe, uh, call of Cthulhu, like all of these things are really cool. We have to recognize all of these things are licensed. Yeah. Uh, and so cool space game with uh, Android units and sparkle swords make the game all day long. Star Wars and Luke Skywalker. No. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we can get away with uh, parody and flagrant, but clearly not the same thing. Knockoffs. But uh, yeah, I guess we shouldn't dip into publishing other people's intellectual property. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to make a Star Wars game using the Cypher system for your home game, that's fine. Just don't make mm. money off of it. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure the mouse will like burst through your basement wall. That's been my experience so far. <laughs> well, I mean, repairs. the, the D, fifth edition Star Wars is a thing. So, mm. And Disney has not come through the door on that one yet, which is surprising. <laughs> But yeah, I... <laughs> they're, they're preparing. <laughs> okay, let's stop invoking. I think if we say the mouse the third time, they're yeah, they're <laughs> obligated to bust in here and cancel our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what people create from this. Yeah. Uh, a couple callouts. We'll have links in the show notes. So there is a Cipher System Discord. If you're hearing this and thinking this is really cool, I want to go learn more. Go join it. Uh, if you look at it, there are many, many tens of worlds that people have built using Cypher system where you can actually just go click and like read about this setting. It seems like there's some organized play going on, this sort of thing. So yeah, go be part of it. Uh, There's also the Cypher Unlimited YouTube channel. Uh, So if you wanted to go see people talk about it and actually playing the game, it's a good place to kind of come online. The other thing I checked, so startplaying.games, great resource if you want to learn a new game, find a DM or GM running it and go play. Numenera is being run on the platform. But not Cypher. Well, Numenera being based on Cypher System, you could learn Cypher System by playing the Numenera game. That's just on my head. For sure. Um, It it might be that people just list Cypher System games under Numenera as well. Uh, Yeah, that's interesting. And and yeah, exactly. There there isn't a listing for Cypher System, so you would actually have to have a name of a specific setting or game you want to play in order to find it there. Uh, But yeah, hopefully it grows in popularity and we start finding a lot more games. For sure. I think it's an often overlooked system, and it's always good to have more options when it comes to RPGs. Absolutely. 
If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for sourcebooks and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on rpgbot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. I would like to spend one XP to not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It keeps the lights on, people. Yep. (laughs) Oh, Lord.